All right, Dr. Rollergator, thanks for joining me on the, uh, a very interesting episode of Patterson and Pursuit. Oh, thank you for having me. So I want to talk to you about AI and one angle that is going to be important, especially in the future, maybe the near future, the, five, the coming five to 10 years, which is not whether robots are going to take over the world and exterminate us all, but specifically how humans are going to try to adjust this technology. So I've seen enough to say, regardless of whether or not the AI has a soul or it has consciousness, there's going to be a lot of people out there who think that the robot has a soul or that the robot has consciousness or that we should treat it as uh, an entity that is maybe, maybe even deserving of rights and respect. And if whether that's true or not, the fact that we're going into that world rapidly is kind of, it seems unprecedented to me. It seems, you know, uh, a, a little uh, confusing. So I know you've thought about this, uh, these topics for a while, and I'd love to just kind of pick your brain and hear your thoughts of the world that, that you're envisioning um, where AI, when you talk with it, it sounds like there's somebody inside the box that, that maybe has feelings. Like, right, right. Yeah. So um, to put this into a temporal context, in the last in the last week or so, a rather well-known artificial intelligence specialist, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky, published an article in Time magazine uh, basically saying that we have to take a militaristic approach to preventing AI research now that uh, GPT-4 has been released and is shown to have uh, particular qualities uh, inside of its inside of its state, and his his perspective is that it will bring about a you know catastrophic end of humanity situation um, akin to that of of a uh, nuclear Armageddon. Mm -hmm. Okay, a threat level that is very similar to the 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 movie um, uh, Doctor Strange Love, how I how I learned to stop worrying mm -hmm. and love the bomb, and. There are people who are making their own bets as to whether or not that is indeed the future that we are coming coming towards. Now, let's let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that he is wrong and that the the landscape will look entirely different than his threat scenario. That is not that does not mean that there won't be uh, adoption problems, uh, problems in the social environment that that will cause. Let's just call it chaos. Mm -hmm. for lack of a better a better term to start. And one of those problems comes from the very clear point based off of everyone's reaction to uh, GPT-4 right now, or chat GPT-4 if you want to call it that, is, is the manner in which it is behaving human-like when you read the text. Right. Now, that is a very deliberate choice we are making in in uh, training this particular artificial intelligence, which is we want it to behave as human-like as possible. And there is a aspect of human psychology that is sort of always going to lead us in the direction of attempting to make these robots yeah. trick us into thinking that they are human, right? Whether whether right. or not you whether or not you um, have some sort of philosophy that concludes absolutely without a doubt they do not possess a soul or you know are not morally uh, equivalent 
creatures deserving of rights whatsoever, we will still always be on a trajectory to create them to be more human-like in their interface because that to us feels like the easiest way to interact with them. We don't want to feel like we have to learn any new way of right. speaking in order to get utility out, out of them. And I, I want to jump on that. Sure. I, just So not only is that correct, but I think it's fair to say there's a lot of people who are eager at the first opportunity of uh, signs of life or humanness in the machine, they have they are ready to be persuaded. Like I've seen, like e you know, even earlier when we had ChatGPT three, and you know, we had the engineer was saying, I think it might be sentient, and you you consume some of the content of people that are just you know bowled over by the word choice that it that it's using. It, it seems to me that we're, we might be in a small window right now where you could make a very compelling case that ChatGPT4 is not sentient. But that, that window might be, uh, let's say the word choice might be so indistinguishable from humans in the one more iteration that we lose this window. So I think it's worth, you know, I, I have my... Uh, my my alarm bells go off when I see people who are so like absolutely eager as soon as soon as they see a certain set of sentences that they're like, wow, this is just, you know, this thing is articulating how it feels and it's responding to me. They are eager to jump on that. And and, that, and you know, regardless of, of whether that's wise or not, I think that is a demonstration that that is the world that we're going into. And that looks kind of wild. Right. So let's let's make a point here or or mark that there does not appear to be any delineation between the educated and uneducated when coming to some sort of sensation that this is uh, the, these things might eventually have sentience. Hmm. You can be a specialist in, um, in uh, machine learning and still wind up on the side that thinks that perhaps, you know, uh, the, the aspect of what uh, makes a human unique will be gone and that these will possess the same aspects and that they will be morally indistinguishable indistinguishable from human beings and there is the class of of those who are effectively wholly ignorant of all of the technology that's involved in the mechanics who are not persuaded that they will ever have souls and and so there's a whole spectrum of education mm -hmm. and depth of knowledge within the the technicals of what is going on that doesn't seem to necessarily affect one's right. conclusion or feeling on that and which means right. that you're going to not have a situation where all the experts and and in this i mean literally all of the people who are knowledgeable on on that side saying no it's not you're crazy for thinking right. so you're going to have people on both sides in every single layer of of uh, complexity understanding right now that's a good point and that given that that is the case i think highest confidence level is that there's going to be disagreements about this tech that are going to be that are going to feel very alien to most people. Like there are interesting philosophical discussions about animal rights, and you know, do uh, are animals moral um, agents? How should we treat them? But this is a totally new category where it's like this is this is something we've created. This is a robot, right? right. And, and, and like. I don't know, like outside of sci-fi, you know, where this is explored and like Blade Runner and stuff, I don't get the impression that we're ready for this discussion, you know, at, at, a, at a wide scale. 
at all. Like I, I think I could imagine, I can easily imagine a world in which in the next five, 10 years, you have uh, robot rights movements that are like, that are so motivated by their empathetic connections to, to the machines that they think, you know, they're justified maybe in, in using violence to try to make sure that, you know, people don't turn off particular AIs or that the AI was, you know, it's not slavery. Like we might see, you know, a, a, a new emancipation movement for, uh, for robots. And I was like, I, yeah. if, if people find that fantastical, I'd like to try to ground that in phenomenon that we should all be able to accept occurs um, prior to getting to this artificial intelligence argument. And that is the humans have a tendency to connect emotion, uh, emotional significance to inanimate or in it, uh, objects that can move, yet we still would classify them as inanimate, like cars, um, to to how they have interacted with those or how those fix, fixtures have been a place of the person themselves' development over time. So if, if you think of the category of music, you know, there's there's a time in, in people's lives, usually in their teenage years, where music becomes a central feature of mm -hmm. their social life. And then decades later, a particular song can trigger those memories and that same sense of, of uh, nostalgia and feeling that they had at the time. They, they'll, they'll have a connection to that music, even though it's just, you know, a pattern of sounds that is otherwise in a, a um, nihilistic universe insignificant. It will still have an a deep emotional connection. It can literally bring people to tears. They can actually feel experiences mm -hmm. over again, you know, to some degree that they had previously experienced. Cars for a lot of people may be the same way. If a car was with you through significant moments in your life, if that car breaks down and is no longer usable, you will, people can feel a sense of loss, even though mm -hmm. it is it is quote a hunk of junk. It is a just a configuration of metal parts, some elect, you know, uh, plastic and things like that. There was there was a meaning about that object with reflection to your own life. Now, if we all accept that those are things that humans definitely do, and and you know, if someone's car, favorite car, breaks down and is unrepairable, or the cost is so high, people would not just say you moron, get over it. They would console that person. They'd say, hey, yeah. I'm really sorry. They would actually give emotional credence to this, right. what would otherwise be considered an absurdity in, in certain contexts. Now add that we are, are turning these things into something that mimics our own sense of emotion, our own sense of of empathy and and even sympathy in, in cases. Yeah, let me so and... put it in, in, in different language. Like we have, you know, humans have empathy circuits. Mm -hmm. And uh, things like cars can get embedded into our empathy, empathy circuits because they're very, you know, it's a very complex circuitry and it can be, you know, I, I had a, a really cool car I was attached to uh, and it definitely felt positive emotions towards it. And it was sad when I had to get rid of it because it was actually a hunk of junk with holes in it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, uh, that we we have the circuitry and yet we are we it's already being used or or activated with inanimate objects or like you know children with stuffed animals is a, was a right. good example yeah. blankets that type of thing and then you're talking about this machine that is specifically it's it's almost intentionally designed to activate all of those empathetic right. circuits right. like with Correct. language and with the friendships and and you know, this thing this entity is going to help you with your work 
and it's going to speak to you with a, a certain amount of respect that maybe you don't get elsewhere. So you're just asking for deep bonds to be formed with these things. Right. Now, the reason I didn't bring up children is simply because in a development standpoint, children learn to um, perhaps, you know, shed those connections to things like stuffed animals. However, however, that is a good pivot point for another another uh, another thing to bring up. Let us assume that we are wise enough to avoid physically passing the uncanny valley with any sort of of anthropomorphized <laughs> sorry uh versions of these these yeah. uh, robots let's say you know let's right now elon musk is attempting to build a humanoid um version of of a autonomous robot unit something that has is bipedal it has you know two arms it is mimicked is basically made to mimic human physicality i guess ideally in hope uh in order to replace human physical activity but right Nonetheless, it is actually built to reflect a human figure. Even if we do not take it to the point where we are trying to now make skin that feels human, if we don't attempt to make the, the way that skin refracts light and, and has a flesh tone, even if we don't make that mistake, at some point, a human generation will have adapted to the nature right. that we have created. And while you and I being of a certain age may be easily able to just always associate these these units with artificiality it will not be considered artificial for someone who was born with it around right so it, so whatever its nature winds up being and again uh, for this uh, conversation i we are I, I think we're both agreeing that that for the sake of the conversation there's no discussion about the souls they'll never have them it's only the consequences yeah. even in light of that right having yeah. a connection with something that was with you you think about what i said uh, a little bit earlier which is that we were always destined to make them behave this way if they have a limited memory space where it's only going to be a day or so we're going to find that ins insufficient for whatever utility we're attempting to get out of them so we're going to want them to have a longer memory which means <laughs> now this thing is going to recall and reflect and be able to repeat moments of your history with it and, and, and maybe even be able to project a hologram onto the table in front of you, <laughs> you know, revisiting the memory. Yeah, that. But even without being able to ever do that, just just the sense of mimicry of a human connection by being able to recall with you significant moments, or or even um, somewhat be uh, evolved in this in this way that we we call training these AIs evolution, evolved to be the thing to point out those moments to you and, and make connections for you and, and utter them out, uh, out loud. We are basically, if you can, even if, if you can imagine before the, the moment of arguing about whether these things have rights, just the amount of, of uh, the sheer number of people who might require therapy yeah. if one of these units is, is viciously broken in front right. of them right. after having bonded that way. Right, the 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 connection that they might not be able to control and need to talk through that that those empathetic circuits they they might be just too entwined even before the the period where we're discussing or arguing about um, their, their supposed rights. Just the fact that you have that loss with that connection and that this thing that was with you through so many significant events and even was there to console you, like if it gives you a hug, yeah, 
right? We're, we're, we're just hijacking the normal things that we do as humans and putting it in this robot. And it, it's, it's, that's going to create a lot of, of problems that people won't foresee, particularly if they're not, um, if, if, if it's not foreign to them, if they grow up with it, it's just going to be the way things are. Right. So that, that just sparks, you know, a thousand different thoughts here. And I wonder, so that world is coming <laughs> and it's probably coming pretty fast. And I wonder if the, the first reasonable step is going to end up being uh, robot rights for the sake of the humans. So like we have certain uh, norms about how when you go to your friend's house and they have a dog there, we have certain norms about how you interact with the dog. And okay. if you violate those norms, it's like a big deal. You don't go kick the dog or maltreat it, you know, treat it poorly and talk down to it. And, and, and that's like a social, uh, social expectation. I wonder if what, 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 I wonder how fast we're going to develop norms around AI assistance where you, the, the expectation is like, look, this is, this is a, this is like a life companion, whether it's sentient or not. And you can't, uh, you can't be uh, indiscriminately, you know, violent towards it or mean towards it is going to be hard, but I can see that. But, uh, it reminds me, there's a argument from, I think it's David Chalmers, uh, who is talking about how smartphones are already sort of, um, extensions of the brain. And if somebody has a bunch of information in their smartphone and they've saved it there, and then you smash the smartphone, you're sort of, you're sort of destroying an, an extended part of them. And I feel like it's, it would be very easy to make that, that connection with these future uh, robot pals is that you, at the very least, you have to have some respectful norms um, about them that we don't, we wouldn't feel towards our cars nearly as much because they're going to be much more uh, intimate connections. And also you got to think like, there's a lot of humans out there who are really shitty to one another. So it's very possible that these machines, while we might look at it, it's kind of weird and tragic that there's going to be, you know, a robot that is building an emotional bond with a human and the human maybe really likes that. You got to say compared to what, like, it might be that the, that the robot friend is in, in terms of quality of friend or quality of companion might be better than a lot of people are, get, are getting elsewhere. So if that's the case, it's like, well, you you definitely, we're going to have to figure out a way to interact with these robots and other people's robots and in a way that, you know, uh, doesn't result, that, that tries to thread the needle here of exactly, you know, what's the right way to do it? What's the wrong way to do it? And that's right. Just, and that's, yeah. that's, that's absolutely true. And that, that echoes back to my, my question of how much, you know, how much therapy is going to be needed in the future, even yeah. before the question of rights, where it's just, you know, seeing, seeing your, your robot friend get viciously beaten there because they're of the spectrum of human beings, you know, humans, let's say in general, at least in the Western societies, place dogs almost at the the level of children in, yeah. in their family life okay and the the loss of a, a a dog or in some places you know in some circumstances other animals of course make that um make that replacement uh, even if it's not as ubiquitous but but the 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 ability for people to accept another species as part of their family is going to similarly affect how how they adopt these robots now 
robots would have abilities that dogs would not have. So for example, hypothetically, you could make backups of the 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 brain of this robot, mm, right? Yeah, that's you would point. have you would have copies. However, there would be these weird these weird circumstances that nobody would have to would have analogs for, which is let's say they don't make that physical model anymore. So you can get the brain, but now it looks different. Now it has different physicalities, right? It has it has a, a different way that it walks. It has it has these weird weird things. It, it's going to hit all sorts of circuits that people have about something not being right or something being weird, um, because ideally you wouldn't be having your robot be broken repeatedly, you know, murdered over and over again, so to speak, to have it to have to have this um, experience of replacing it be a norm. Right. Like every every few months. Oh, it's just in a brand new body. Right. You know, things like that. It would it would still be a weird experience, at least for some some portion of the people, some part of the time where it would have this weird psychological effect that that you wouldn't necessarily even be able to prepare someone for if you told them explicitly or made them watch movies about it happening. Right. To where they could try to imprint the emotional experience before it happens to them. So those are those are. Those are landscapes that will exist even prior to arguing about rights. Right. Right. Just okay. just humans interacting with them and not understanding their own psychological cost. Right. Well, I, uh, so you've thought about this more than I have, because uh, this is not something I've seriously entertained, <laughs> but for the past few weeks, um, what what is your, uh, what are your intuitions here for your own um, empathetic circuits with these robots like are you going into this future world thinking i gotta sort the philosophy out now so that i don't get attached to these things because there's no soul present and i don't want to i don't you know. know if avoiding yeah. avoiding attachment is actually something that you would want to do because if you avoid attachment altogether you wouldn't have a good mental landscape to coping with a loss like that so let me let me frame it this way. If if I were to only take the the um, dark aspect of these are these are just pieces of machinery, it is it doesn't matter except for their utility, whether they are active or not. And it's it's whose utility I'm concerned about. And therefore, I'm OK. If, it's OK if I destroy someone else's, if it's advantageous to me, it, it's similar to a crime of, of you know, sabotaging their vehicle, mm -hmm. uh, provided I don't place them in harm's way, just, you know, cut, you know, uh, deflating the tires or something like mm -hmm. that, where, yes, there's a monetary cost, but it's, you know, nobody's physically injured. It's it, it's akin to that sort of crime. If if I take that if I take that um, attitude. I may allow myself behaviors that are are basically teaching me to treat something that is behaving in a particular way as if it is that way. So so I could I could just even if it's not dramatic, I could slightly become more of an asshole yeah. to real people. Oh, totally. Because I am practicing being an asshole totally. to these things I'm trying to stay detached from. I think that was Conter or one of the philosophers who said this exact argument about animals, that, that the argument was, look, it doesn't really matter what's going on in the inside of the animal. You treat the animal well uh, because it 
improves your own ethical uh, character. And when you treat the animal poorly, it ends up degrading you. You end up harming yourself and your own moral character. You become a worse person, even if you're not, you know, harming another conscious entity. Right. And so, so if we go back to thoughts about the cars and things like that, there is a way to accept that you will have an emotional connection and also mentally control your grief processing yeah. and, and hone it in into what the significance of it what actually was yeah. and, and, and place it in its correct context. So I don't think it's necessarily that you're, you want to avoid hmm. doing it because you're, you're going to need that experience in order to try to help other people also cope with it. it so, it's very similar to the pet situation because that yeah. would be the mature way of under of of letting yourself naturally bond with an animal, but knowing that it is an animal and it's not on the same level as humans, and it's important not to be totally crushed when the animal um, dies. Right, right. If 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 someone I care about uh, hamster dies, okay, on the on the chain of human pets, a hamster is a very insignificant sort of pet, right? But yeah. But people, uh, rats, uh, a lot of people who own rats find them to be very expressive and very, um, they have very idiosyncratic personalities. And the idiosyncratic nature mm -hmm. of creatures can be really impactful on how people uh, bond with them, right? The, this, this rat, my rat, isn't like other rats, right? I've had a special connection. I know this rat's temperament. All the idiosyncrasies that make up this this creature, it you know, compared to dogs, we might think rats are just expendable, right? But to a person who bonds with a rat, it's a very important animal. That particular rat is super important. And there is a cutoff point with creatures where virtually nobody would feel that way, right? Like just a, a house fly. There, I'm sure there is a segment of people who. Mm -hmm. Uh, have convinced themselves that uh, a grave atrocity has occurred if if you were to swat and kill a housefly. But by and large, I think it's fair to say nobody feels that way, right? If you're mm -hmm. just to be crude in your language and and uh, allow that to be something you say nobody feels, there's a point where an animal starts to become ambiguous as to whether they they are worthy on the dog side or on the housefly side. Mm -hmm. And and we we make these carve outs. And a lot of that might be social. Um, you know, there, there are different animals that get different uh different respects in different cultures. But at some point you're in a middle ground where the intersection of that middle ground is a common set of animals and that might be the delineation. Okay. With, so when you're yeah so, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say and and how you're thinking about the bonding with the robot. So I think that is a that that makes a lot of sense to me as you go into it thinking there is going to be some bonding, but I got to put it in the appropriate category of mm -hmm. how, you know, how how big a deal is it if something happens to this mm -hmm. entity? Um, for you, does the does the question of the soul or the consciousness or the internal state matter here? And if so, how much? Like if you were gonna if you're gonna try to project into the future, you have, let's say you know scenario one, you have concluded the robot doesn't have a soul, but I'm still gonna bond with it. And so on the unlike the animal hierarchy, where would you put it? Is this thing you think gonna be dogs or cats or below or above? And then scenario two, you think okay, I have I'm sufficiently uh, ignorant as to know whether this thing is conscious. Mm -hmm. And now does that automatically mean it's like, well, it's like a person or how do you sort through those scenarios? 
well, the how how do I? Um, you know, that's there's, there's there's I jokingly say that I'm a solipsist, and I'm not a solipsist, but I jokingly say that I'm a solipsist because at some point, if you are um, at some point, if you are paying attention to your own existence and doubting your ability to actually verify information around you, um, you wind up you wind up saying a lot of things are true, but hedging it with, I right. might find out later it's not true. Right. You might be plugged into the matrix. Something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, so when it comes to navigating that space, at some point there will be a something about these uh, entities that becomes indistinguishable from the classic P-zombie problem which is uh, slightly above solipsism. So it, just in case I'm using terms uh, viewers wouldn't necessarily be familiar with, solipsism is basically the idea you can't be certain of anyone's existence but yourself because the, your experience is the only way you experience the world and everything else could be a creation, the matrix, let's just say, where you are the only actual consciousness and everything is a simulation. The P-zombie problem is basically one level up, which is there are humans and maybe other creatures that possess this, this consciousness where I will just describe the term as being the lights are on. Okay, these are, these are things that are having experiences in the same period of time that you are. And they actually have the same quality of experience that, you're, that you would be referencing when you say that I am alive, I am a person, etc. Whatever you would group into that category, these are also creatures that have it too. And the P-zombie problem is that some number of people or animals have this, uh, have this quality, have this property, but not all. And the difficulty it would uh, uh, of ascertaining who is and who is not the uh, entities that have the property based off of an external observation. So that you could, the, the thought experiment is that there could be people who behave identically to other people, only the only difference is the lights are on in one and the lights mm -hmm. are not on in the other. Mm -hmm. At some point, the robots would fit this philosophical zombie scenario, where even if you start from the premise, they do not have... Um, they, they do not have any sort of qualities like that. At some point, you would have to wonder, okay, does this one actually? Mm -hmm. you, you could always conclude no, but they will wind up becoming the same sort of philosophical problem as these, these philosophical zombies. You wouldn't yeah. necessarily have a way to solve that by external observation. And until you have a way to solve it um, descriptively, using the physics of the, of the known world to, to differentiate between what does and what doesn't, you would always have to try to explain why why one set of electrical pathways, which is you know how we could describe the brain working, which are electrical impulses feeding through the brain and, and performing calculations and then guiding guiding the body to act, why one set of electrical impulses just having to be you know go through these uh, organic pathways is a different situation than than metals passing electro uh, you know electrical right. circuits through you know electrical pulses through the circuitry you i'm not saying that is forever impossible um but if if people think they've trivially solved that sort of question i think they haven't necessarily uh explored all the avenues if they think they've trivially solved it 
there are yeah. many stages of questions that would need to be resolved prior to saying you've actually answered it. So once you get to a certain level of advancement, these entities are going to or you're going to have that open question and it's going to be the P zombie problem. So I place it purely in the P zombie theoretical question. And that comes that 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 question comes one layer below the question of whether or not there would there is a a god or a super arching uh, entity that created and is guiding and concerned about the universe. So those those layers are how I kind of have to place it. And and the I try to place it physically in the material landscape as the P zombie problem. But mm -hmm. then additional layer would always be the the eternity sort of question, right? What is what is the whole life thing about? Then that that guides how I try to think about the <laughs> interacting with them as this yep. this epoch approaches. So once you get to the point, or once the tech gets to the point where you actually can't tell, and let's say to make it more persuasive, let's say that we figure out why um, brain architecture is so tightly connected to consciousness. That is like the actual shape of the neural connections. Mm -hmm. Right now we have these super simplistic models that you know reduce the amount of neurons and synapses down. I don't know what is it a thousand fold or a million fold or something. Um, but imagine we go ah breakthrough. This is why brains are doing the things that they're doing, um, and they, this is why brains produce consciousness. And it's actually in the uh, the three dimensional structure, the geometry of the brain. So imagine then we model you know the next gen maybe 10, 20 years whatever. Not only is the behavior indistinguishable, but it has a similar enough brain structure where mm -hmm. maybe it's not, you know, carbon, it's silicon. Do you think to yourself, I have to now, because, because I don't know whether, whether any other mind is conscious or whether this entity, entity is conscious, I have to just say, I'm going to treat this as an intelligent sentient thing because it's too the stakes are too high for yeah, me let, getting let's it wrong. say let's say that that's a that would be like some sort of uh robot pascal's wager yeah you know? ai pascal's wager right yeah. where you treat it as if sentient simply because you don't know and if 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 you know if you're already taking pascal's wager which is uh you know okay i'll believe that there's a god simply because the risks of not believing are are so high and now you've done the robot version of the pascal's wager i'm going to treat them as if sentient etc um, you do wind up with a, a similar set of moral um, uh, restrictions or at least uh, moral uh, moral considerations. Um, now, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, humans are not in agreement about even how to treat other humans in most moral situations. Yeah. Um, so just to take a, 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 a situation where I think people could find themselves in a in a let's say near term and let's put near term being a couple decades um a a war that involves these ais on each side okay now in in a lot of historical encounters of war um there hasn't been necessarily a a joint agreement that there is an ending to the war where people actually stop fighting. In many circumstances, it has been absolute demolishment and devastation. The war is not over until one side wins completely, it genocides the other side. Okay, it just completely wipes them out. Take you know, or maybe leaves their women alive to to steal the bloodline. Right. Um, 
there would be a similar version of that where let's say you have just robots fighting each other because we've removed the human element for the most part, similar to the way that we have drones being used now in a lot of the um, the the uh, what the proxy wars or the mm -hmm. uh, yeah. the asymmetric wars where it is against these what they you know quote unquote terrorist uh, cells inside of countries where we're not actually at war with the country, so to speak. We're just uh, at war right. with certain actors inside of that element. But let's say that we have a, a old version state-by-state -state war, but now it's just mostly robots fighting each other. There would be a similar question as to whether or not it would be moral to yeah. eliminate the other side's AI entirely as a precautionary measure in order to uh, you know possibly uh, prevent another, another war. Now, at some level... If that happens in five years and we just have, you know, yes, maybe we threw chat GPT into these robots, maybe we'd all be fine saying, no, they're not, it's just a, it's just a dumb box. It's, it's okay. We can eradicate it. No big deal. At some point we might, you know, uh, even if soldiers are fighting alongside these AIs, it's the same sort of bonding thing, right? They're going to, they're going to draw an emotional attachment. I mean, we draw emotional attachments to imaginary robots that we watch in television programs yeah, so, right. so I, I can imagine that being significantly more difficult when you're actually fighting alongside of it yeah that's a wild idea i haven't the, the definitely you know instinctually i feel like oh that, that maybe it should be expected that uh creatures of one species are just going to by default value themselves over other entities even if they're sentient uh uh because when i think about you know how many how many llm embodied llm machines could be destroyed in order to sort of try to balance out like you know do you kill the if you you explode or dismantle a hundred thousand is that does that have the moral weight of one person if you can make those kind of comparisons at least intuitively and i'm like oh well humans all the way like it doesn't matter, even if we had some like an EMP, right? Mm -hmm. That just destroyed all the robots on the planet. Once they're sophisticated, I'm like, yeah, that is not going to move me nearly the same as if you have, you know, a human die. So I, right. I guess that right. speciesism, which maybe should be the expectation. Well, no, it, it, and and let's let's say that that would let's again going back to the previous agreement at the beginning of the discussion that that is the correct stance. Let's say that for all eternity, that is the correct stance. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't imply that everyone will agree with you right, on sure. that stance, right? So you being the the correct position holder, um, launching the EMP and committing a robot holocaust yeah. makes you the Hitler of, the, of that generation, right? That's so wild, that's so and, wild. And, and, you know, that, of course, there would be arguments, it wouldn't be unanimous that you would be the bad guy, but the number of people who might think, oh, oh man, this person just extinguished all of these these lives, yeah, uh, you you would have that moral weight. Now, let's say in the brosiest scenario, we do avoid doing that. That we've trained ourselves to to understand that at the end of the day, these are just machines and they don't have that soul. Let's let's assume that we've done that. Um, the 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 complications still will arise as to people processing the loss, right? So you're still going to wind up having people have to emotionally go through it, whether or not they accept intellectually that they haven't or not. So it, there's still going to be a lot of effects like that, no matter how you slice it. That's a, that's an interesting point. And even when we're dealing with humans and tragedies, um, it, when you 
you know, if you, if parts of members of your community are killed or like individual friends, mm. much less a lot, a large number of people in your community, that is obviously, you know, horrible. But, and, but when the tragedy goes larger than your immediate community, it becomes so abstract. It's impossible to process. It's like you right. think about world war two and how many humans you, you can't like, you literally can't even comprehend right. the, the situation. So I wonder if, if this is going to happen again with the, you know, if there are, when there are wars between complex robots, but if you don't have the emotional bond with them, it's very abstract. And it's like, yeah, that's what happens with war, but it's, it's the, the community robots that went off to war to fight for you that you grieve over, you know? Right. Now, maybe, maybe in a military situation, it'll be somewhat similar. Cause I could imagine that, you know, the, the military does not attempt to remove the human element entirely, but they do attempt to uh, to emphasize aspects of humanity uh, in one respect and then downplay other aspects of humanity. You don't want a person making decisions purely from a empathy or sympathy uh, standpoint when they are on a particular mission, right? You want them as simply as instruction followers. So Robots. perhaps, yeah, perhaps that would be the, the, the location where, um, robots would simply be their most psychopathic let's say they will not yeah. have any ability to be emotive they will not mimic human nature in that way and therefore that sort of of problem will not be uh there on the battlefield for soldiers let's right. say that that does not change people that that does not change people's reflection when they see their robots in their house and have already attributed some right. sort of sentience or or nature to them thinking about those those robots in the battlefield right it doesn't because it will be remote for them they won't they right. won't necessarily be able to detach a sentiment they've already granted one entity and detach it from the other yeah it would be like uh you know if you've got hired help or you've got a maid that you know the people in the family connect to and then the maid goes off to war and gets killed it's like a right I, I jokingly, there's a um, open project that's been around for a couple of years of people trying to physically build, actually build the schematics and physically build um, uh, Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Mm. Okay, and if you're familiar with that movie, it's um, it's a movie from the '80s where a there was a robotics uh, robotics project that the military was creating and they made these five advanced ai models and one was hit by electricity from lightning a lightning strike a surge of electricity and it made it conscious okay that's the overall story mm -hmm. and Naturally. it's a it, it the you're familiar with the character wally yeah the physical nature of wally is based off of the physical nature of this original robot from the 80s from this movie short circuit okay so the same the same type of binocular eyes that that create handle most of the expressions it creates to emote to a human audience is the same. It's the same sort of situation. And these these people have wanted to make um, this this Johnny Five replica that is able to move. It's able to have the same voice from the movie, et cetera, et cetera. And just the other day, my first thought is, let's throw ChatGPT into it, mm -hmm. right? So now it doesn't have a pre-recorded set of things it can say. I can now talk to it and right. imagine that movie is now reality and trick myself because. That's the logical thing to do is trick myself into thinking that this thing from my childhood is now alive, right? It is now an actual thing in, in reality. And, it, and so even, even if it is completely removed from being human, it will still now be able to be possible to create these entities that have 
have this nostalgia standpoint, this thing where it, you could swear it's alive, people would probably make Rosie the Robots. You just mentioned maids, right? If yeah, you get right. a maid, someone in your family is going to want a Rosie the Robot, right? Because right. the Jetsons was such a staple of the the American culture. Of course, you're going to make a Rosie the Robot. You're gonna you're gonna grab the AIs that synthesize voices. You're going to take samples of her voice from the show. You're gonna make sure that she sounds like Rosie the Robot. And now you're the Jetsons. Like it's going to that's the stuff you could predict is going to happen, right? Because right. of course it is. <laughs> okay, I, I want to play with a couple of uh, of ideas here. First of all, sure. there's something inside me that says humans shouldn't be doing that so there's something there's something about the the possibility that there is this illusion of sentience in a machine <clears throat> or or a su sufficient amount of uncertainty in whether there's sentience in the machine and then we are we're we're projecting something onto you know a very complicated pile of dirt pile of sand and the idea that we're going into this world, uh, and it might be it might be illusory. Uh, these connections might be fundamentally like the ability to form these emotional connections among humans is, you know, maybe even the meaning of life. It's so wonderful. Like we've got circuitry that's there. It's super powerful for a good reason. And the idea of creating something which is not sentient if it's actually not not conscious and not a person and bonding with it that seems icky right so so how do you i mean on the i i you know pra practicality aside of like should you treat the robot this way or whatever like is there not some what what is this do you have do you feel the same intuition that like ooh, we might be creating a theater for ourselves that is not healthy Oh, I, I, I think absolutely we are. But I also think that there is no other way to expect it to evolve that way. Because if we start to, let's say that we are attempting to be mature about this and we say, no, we're not going to give it any um, any expressiveness that, that hacks our empathy circuits, right? And allows us to connect to it. Now we have a robot that is able to communicate perfectly in a human like it has the capability of communicating with us on that human like level but we are specifically telling it not to and now it's going to act interact with us as the most psychopathic person like the the you know um <laughs> not to be too disparaging but you know the the stereotype of a person who is autistic saying the most cold and and heartless thing that you possibly can just because it happens to be somewhat factual in nature at the mm -hmm. wrong time right that would be the robot we'd be creating and we would hate that okay even if that would be the correct thing to go to make sure we don't um ever confuse them with being sentient that would piss us off that would that yeah. would anger us to no doubt and we'd say look i just said my friend died don't say that happens yeah <laughs> right okay say that you understand that i feel bad okay <laughs> right. and then so it'll say oh I, I understand that you feel bad and we will we will interact with it in a way where we will always yeah at the moments that we are most emotional want it to actually have the uh, ability to fake it because not faking it is absolutely annoying to us at the time so this uh, this makes me think of something which uh, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thought. I don't know if this is correct or not, but it, it 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 makes me think of the philosophies which attribute 
spirits to inanimate objects. So mm -hmm. when you think of um, like, I don't know, you've got a wooden box in your house mm -hmm. and you can, it's just a piece of wood. Uh, you can smash it, you can burn it, you do whatever you got to do because it's just a box. That is one, uh, one way of thinking about what the phenomenon is. That's probably correct. There's another almost ethical or aesthetic um, perspective, which is to say, okay, maybe the box isn't sentient, but there's still a sense in which I can, I can stand in relation to this object in a way that is good for my soul. Mm -hmm. And I can treat the box as if it has some kind of personality or it has some kind of, let's, I could say there's a particular, you know, if we're not talking about a box, cause that's hard. It could be like a piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. We say, well, to give maximum respect to the furniture, you have to put the furniture in the right place in the room. Like where does, mm -hmm. where does the couch want to be? Mm -hmm. And it sounds, you know, it can sound silly, but there's also something beautiful to that idea that you recognize what the thing is, uh, that, that, uh, the couch has a certain geometric structure and it can find a certain beautiful relation with the structure of your room. Right. And, right. You, and you're sort of in a, in a mind state where you're giving respect to things, even if they are, you know, inanimate well, objects. There, there's a degree to which that um, is similar to something we were mentioning earlier, which is if, if I'm treating these, these robot uh, automatons in a particular way, it could rub off on my treatment of, of yeah. other people. Yeah. Similarly, the way that you treat the things you own, the way that whether you care for them or not, yeah. is generally going to reflect on the way that you behave in other search, you know, situations, right? It's, it's the, it, it is, some of it is symbolic, but the symbolism is also guided uh, to be respected simply because that is a structure that you repeat elsewhere, yeah. right? right? So if you, if you are, if you do not have a personal sense of aesthetics, that lack of aesthetics inside your home is probably going to be reflective in uh, elsewhere. And that could, and let's take a practical standpoint, um, developers often uh, have, have various sub types of talents and some people are absolutely abysmal at creating user interfaces. User yeah. interfaces are a very important component of functioning software, but good developers may be absolutely terrible at creating a user interface because they wind up having no sense of aesthetics right. and functionality together. So they'll focus on functionality. And now they will have in their own heads, if they, if, if, if it's a one single developer developing an interface, they know where all the menus are. They know where they put everything because it was already mapped to their brain without a sense of organization on that side. Right. So those are those are absolutely things that translate into different different arenas. And so there's definitely an overlap with how you respect things and yeah. how you respect people, et cetera. So it's all yeah, it's absolutely going to overlap. Those yeah, I like I feel like that's a more um abstract and flexible moral framework than trying to make consciousness calls. Mm -hmm. Is to try to say, uh I I I would agree with the uh there's a specific technical term for solipsism where it's not that you have a positive belief that yours is the only mind. It's that, uh, you know, you believe you can't have, you know, certainty about the existence of other right, minds. Right. There's, there's different forms of solipsism. It takes mm -hmm. different trends, but that's, that's one of them. And I, I agree. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you can know that another, there's another mind present. You just guess. Um, but anyway, just it's, there's some, there is some, something beautiful about the idea of trying to 
orient yourself in the world such that if you find out someday that the object you thought didn't have any consciousness does have consciousness that you treated it with some sort of respect even if it's a even if it's an animal on a farm you know if it's a rabbit you shot and uh you got to eat it there's a way to still maybe not rabbits who wants to eat rabbits right um there's still a way to interact even if you're right. you know killing the thing or breaking the thing or burning the object which still has some respect for it Right. You know, that, that might be, right. uh, that, and, that worldview might take off uh, once we go into, you know, robot world, because I don't know, it's more generally applicable, I guess. Yeah. And we're going to find out that there's a lot of, a lot of assumptions that are built into people's worldviews that is mainly driving how they handle this, this coming, um, this coming mixture, this coming uh, development of both the acceleration of artificial intelligence capabilities uh, and and uh, coexisting with with human uh, human society, we're going to find out that a lot of things are 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 ultimately rooted in people's um, their their metaphysical sorts of uh, um, beliefs. So let's let's take for example someone like Sam Harris, who is a very hard determinist. He thinks that. Everyone's perception of free will, everyone's perception of being able to make choices, all of it is an illusion, and everything is predicated off of just the, off of the the atoms that are interacting mm -hmm. with each other, the molecules that are interacting, and there is absolutely no control. Okay? In that type of environment, there isn't even a question of are these these computers, are these robots sentient, are do they have consciousness because they're performing the same job we are, right. We are as insignificant as the robots. The only difference is, is that we being trained through evolution to be uh, to uh, respect self-preservation as part of the the biology. We are then going to treat it that way and and be adversarial to the robots if they are threatening our self-preservation. But that's all deterministic. Yeah. In that landscape, right? So there is no moral difference between. Um, between the robot and the human, if it's all deterministic, but then people who do not take the hard determinism, and we don't have to parse out all of the various alternatives, but people who do allow for um, free will, whatever they may, that might mean to them, can then have that confusion as to whether or not the robot has it, because at some point they will, a, a standard Windows computer is deterministic, cool, but then at some point the fluidity in which these systems are creating what appears to be uh, more randomized degrees of freedom that would allow for free will to emerge it, conceptually, or at least at least in the external manifestation. That would be where they would start to question it, and we would find out that there would be these these you know sets of underlying assumptions about the nature of reality that would wind up actually affecting people's perceptions, where they would actually come out on those those questions yeah definitely and uh i think if you're going to be a total determinist then it's very hard for me to square the meaning of ethics with uh absolute determinism because i'm thinking if truly fundamentally there's you don't have control over your thoughts yeah you don't have control how your beliefs change you can't choose anything i don't see where ethics 
makes sense other well, than just to say it's you like were a, always determined you were always predetermined to be talking about ethics at the point yeah. that you were talking about ethics so it's <laughs> yeah it, it's something it'd be something like an aesthetic judgment or like some entities don't like when things happen in the world i think that's about all you could say yeah i don't want to get too in the weeds on that because that's that's another that's another long conversation but the, the the standpoint is that that people who believe in that sort of determinism are going to in a different way find equivalence because yeah. the, the, there's no there wouldn't be no underlying mystical component and i'm using the term mystical right, as, right. as just to say it's the unknown right it's this yeah. this component that that most people feel does not fit determinism right but it's it's unexplainable we don't have we don't have a hard explanation that that answers all of our questions because anytime we start to propose answers it it raises more questions about the things we currently know but the people who have the hard deterministic route are going to have have these robots be equal to us for other reasons because they are just hard deterministic devices exactly the same way we are it's just a different uh way that the the determinism manifests right okay i want to shift to one more topic here mm -hmm. um that's related and i feel also uh anxiety thinking about mm -hmm. which is the let's say the political and i don't know uh almost religious um aspects to this so i can imagine a world in the future where uh, there's an AI, which gets the designation of super intelligent, whatever that means, doesn't mm -hmm. matter, where there are countries which defer to the AI mm -hmm. to make their decisions because mm -hmm. they think, okay, this is something that's smarter than we are. And so whatever the, whatever it outputs, we're going to do yeah. politically because this you know higher intelligence is talking to us and very connected to this possibility in the domain of politics is i'm just going to call it cults mm -hmm. where you i can imagine we're probably already in this world where there are multiple ai cults out there already would be my guess but mm -hmm. i could see maybe not on a political level but as like in a smaller like a religious context especially once these things are embodied we're gonna we're gonna have people who are treating the robot effectively like gods mm-hmm where it's this thing knows more than we do, or it's at, more, at more than least we do as an Oracle, the roles that, that mystical oracles might've had. Yeah. An, an Oracle, that'll be one part of it, but also as gods, um, mm -hmm. if they spend a lot of their time, let's say in the digital world. Mm -hmm. And if you think about like, uh, if you imagine the AI as being omniscient in some dominion, in some digital dominion, yes, yes, it yes. knows the state of yeah. everything in the dominion and all of that information gets plugged into the AI and then it can output states right into the physical world so it, it would sort of be like a god yeah in yeah, that, yeah yeah in that context okay. so okay so how do you wrap your head around this well that's going to that's going to involve a question of how fast we integrate the augmented reality systems into what we are doing so there's a long a long-standing um uh, rule of thumb when it comes to software development and that is if two features exist, at some point, people will combine them. Mm. So if you create feature A and feature B, they're oftentimes in software development. Um, you will wind up with these um, 
bug reports, you know, a user reports a bug and you will wind up with these, these things and you look at them and it is two, two things you never thought people would think to put together that you've made in the system. The system has capability A and capability B. This ticket is because you never actually tested the two together because it doesn't make sense to you to use them together, but this user did it and therefore it's a, it created a problem. How fast and how quickly we are able to make progress in the visual, um, I'll call it hmm. the visual hallucination space. Hmm. Okay, where the you know Oculus is owned currently by Meta, which is basically Facebook, and they are working on attempting to create this um, these these three uh, D environments inside of their Oculus headsets. Now, I've only tried an Oculus headset briefly, few hours once, and it it suffers from many many. Um, flaws when it comes to sensory immersion and that is of mm -hmm. course you're always feeling this weighted item on your head so you can you can't help but be reminded that you are not in mm -hmm. a real space with it um, uh, and it's not perfect when it comes to uh, mapping your real world movements into the artificial environment it is creating however I will say that it is getting decently good at mapping those things so right now we have several competing uh, AI systems that are making headway and, and breaking new ground in this year or well, last year, if you want to include that. And one of them is the stable diffusion mid journey dolly uh, image generators, where you can take the image prompt mm -hmm. and, and create uh, an image that basically is what you asked for. You know, if you want to, if you want to take George W. Bush and merge it with a panda bear, you'll get George W. Bush in a panda with a panda bear, and it'll be totally what you would think of. Yep, that's George mm -hmm. W. Bush and a panda bear. It's you know, <laughs> so the ability to create combinations of things that don't exist in reality is going to be there. Now, the the way that those systems work involves creating a lot of noise and then removing noise based off of whether or not a image classifier says, yes, this is uh, more like the image that we're trying to talk about and no, this is less like it and making choices based off of that until you've removed enough noise from one of these images to, to get exactly what a human would say is that image. Okay, so you have a lot of noise, you have almost nothing, and then you keep removing noise in such a way that eventually the image classifier says, yep, that's what that's this image. So when it, when we upload images to the internet and they try to sort them through through algorithms, they've already trained the AIs to to say this is a dog, this is a cat, this is a happy person, this is a sad person. They're they're trying to map all these features, and we've inverted that with these image generators to to make noise and take noise and turn it into something that we actually want. Using that same technology, you can only have a little bit of noise from where you started and ask it for something new to start to create these immersive environments that look 3D where you're actually just shifting the image over. So if I turn my head left, now it's trying to recreate what might mm -hmm. be there from an image on the left. Or maybe it takes a 3D model that is not particularly refined. So if you take if you think about the first 3D games or the older 3D games where you know it's it's it was great at the time but now obviously it's not as realistic looking as the modern graphics but you start to then take those as your base layer add some fuzziness to them and now try to create extra um, hyper realistic visuals on top mm -hmm. of that you can see a trajectory where those uh, those oculus type units could convincingly create visuals that are indistinguishable 
for except for the most discerning eyes with time and and judgment an environment that looks real now you still have this physical weight on your head that's doing it to remind you you're not in there but of course that's a that's a problem that will be solved over time by technology yeah. so how quickly that those those things start to merge you will now have non-player characters the npcs that we all accuse the other of being online okay we have we'll have these npcs that will literally be npcs in these virtual environments and we yeah. will we will literally have malicious actors creating these npcs in those malicious environments and we will wind up in a realm where we you know everything that's passing this turing test the classical turing test is an open question as to whether or not a, you know we already do it on twitter but it's like am i talking to somebody who is you know uh, mimicking human gestures human emotions in an environment where everyone is artificial already in their presentation you know i it, <laughs> it's yeah. that's that's going to be very bizarre because i can imagine i would bet 100 percent that there will be many manipulative fake romances yeah in the this parasocial environment that is augmented by by these headsets and so that will be a component i think that's going to be less it's going to be as emotionally disruptive to have you know, people get upset with catfishes but the catfishes target a very specific set of vulnerable people the augmented reality ones could leave many people open to um a vector of attack they were not prepared for right so I'm, I, uh, go ahead i i do want to um talk about the political situation uh, but uh, before that that this is a really good uh, rabbit hole to go down um so i have wondered with ai stuff about how what kind of cultural traits we're going to develop so that this doesn't mess all of our brains up and um, i'm going to call it it's like the extended concept of an air gap mm -hmm. so like uh, you know if you've got if uh, you have a computer and you don't want it to be hacked what do you do? Well, don't plug it into the internet for, for one. Like if you can have an air gap where yeah. you're not plugged in, then you're yeah. less likely to be hacked. And so this is like uh, air gapping, not just to make sure the AI doesn't, you know, Skynet doesn't take control of your computer and blow it up and make your house catch on fire. But but it's like a cultural air gap where we're going to have to come up with some new set of concepts that I think <laughs> that, that this would be wise to do to say, okay, when you put the headset on or when you press go on the brain chip or whatever, when you know that you have to know clearly the differentiation between the virtual space and physical space and normal reality. And if we don't, I think a bunch of people aren't going, they already are, I think people have blurred the lines between physical and digital to their own detriment. But I wonder, I wonder how many of the problems that are, are being presented to us in the near future by AI are going to be actually solvable just with some sort of cultural wisdom where you go like, you know, wisdom develops over time. There are lots of things out in the world that are very dangerous that can mess with your mind. You know, uh, drug use, for example, is one of those where, you know, one approach to drug use is like, don't take any of them ever. Another is like, eh, it's fine. It's not going to hurt you. I think mm -hmm. somewhere the wisdom is somewhere in the middle ground where it's like, hey, look, you got to know the risks going into it. You got to have the right set and setting. And then you can use this, yeah, you know, yeah. technology where in a way that it's not going to screw you up. So I wonder, I wonder with with this VR, you know, you're going into uh, 
a cult mystical land in which there are going to be different gods that you interact with that are NPCs that are out there really. And they're going to, they're going to be talking to you and building friendships with you and telling you to do things in your real life. Like we're going to need some, we're going to need like a cultural firewall right. to make sure that people don't lose their minds here. Right now. Um, obviously as a, and if you look at the species in total, you can either say that we're really good at doing that or really bad at doing that. And we're really good at doing that in that we've, survived this long having having analogous although not identical situations repeatedly okay so the social media um is has a similar categorization of problems okay yeah. you have these you have these you know for lack of a better word influencers who construct a completely artificial reality <laughs> and 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 you know you can you can be shown the 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 photos and then how the actual scene looked and it's always you know fake and made up and and um they're yeah. they're they're pretending they're in locations they're not um you know they're they're pretending they're about to eat something that they didn't actually eat it was just someone trying to throw some advertising dollars in their way mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and and there are people who many many people who believe that they are being shown a pathway to success and then they've they've therefore try to emulate what they are seeing and they wind up you know, not they wind up ruining their lives to some degree, or at least wasting time pursuing some things that are not right. healthy for them overall. So right. on that aspect, we could say we do a very bad job. Oh, however, on average, we have created a, a you know set of societies that are so far beyond what we could have ever really imagined on a whole just a hundred a couple hundred years ago, with a size of our population that is astronomical compared to where we were just several hundred years ago uh, on the total population of Earth. So on one level, it's a huge success. On another level, yeah. we still are doing this horribly. Yeah. But that's why I said earlier, I wouldn't necessarily avoid participating in the emotional connections with these items, provided I am doing so simply to navigate how to train the next the next generation of me well true <laughs> to to also do that because otherwise i would be leaving them open to vulnerability yeah and you know i think it, um it, recent technology with the internet social media and our hyper connectivity gets shit on a lot by people and they think this is like a net negative for humans and i think that's very premature like when you think about how human how long it takes for cultures and humanity to learn principles about what's good what's bad what's dangerous what's not like these technologies have been around what you know 20 some of them less than 20 years mm -hmm. so i already know i mean I've, i have these conversations with people all the time about how they want to reduce the influence of technology and the internet and social media on their lives and a lot of people have a lot of success at feeling happier when they you know i get rid of social media or at least limit it to particular parts of the day so i feel like there is a learning process here that I, i'm optimistic i'm more optimistic now than i have been for you know, people in a widespread sense trying to get a hold of technology and and not have it, uh, you know, control their lives. And I think we're making progress here. At least that's my observation. Well, I want to I want to say that there's a, a degree I agree with that sentiment, but I think a lot of times people who hold that sentiment seem to discount too much the um, the negative externalities that come with those types of advancements and they 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 fail to acknowledge them in a way that basically says that's somebody else's problem 
Okay, so so they they they. If we look at how how large the human population is, and we look at some of our measures of whether or not people are in poverty, you know, absolutely destitute, and we we look at all of those metrics, we try to come up with to not deceive ourselves, and we say, okay, things are pretty good, but then we also can, in that aspect, fail to see um, the the periods of difficulty and pain that real people go through yeah. as certain things in society progress on average. So I want to let's let's take uh, employment displacement as one of those scenarios. Okay. Going back to, you know, time, time's beginning. It's if you have two countries and borders and you have uh, you have a comparative advantage in particular skill sets and one of those comparative advantages and is in the other country, you know, you're going to start outsourcing the the job demand to that particular comparative advantage. So Mexico being at the United States southern border, there are, you know, uh, immigrants who come across who are not um, per, you know, necessarily following the the rules that we have set up for immigration and they are offering services that that people in this country would otherwise offer or you take the technological advancement of 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 you know any particular revolution in in technology whether it be um the the light bulb to candle makers or or the automobile to to people selling horse and carriages and things like that and you say, okay, the, the car came through and it displaced all of those people with the horse and buggy. And now, you know, society is better off for it overall. And you just ignore that entire period where mm. the people who were doing the horse and buggy are now lost and don't know how to navigate a portion of their lives. Now, you look at the scale in which those changes came and to the people at the time, they were fast. But I think we can agree technological advancements and technological changes are occurring at a rate now that is... Uh, unforeseen when looking at the rate of change of historical time periods, such that the displacement now could be large and significant and taking the approach that it would just be like uh, light bulbs to candle makers or or the car to horse and buggy overlooks the actual near-term um, uh, devastation in, in the human condition for particular sets of people. Even if you imagine, even if you take the, the case that, you know, 100 years from now will be fine, that that the current time slice can actually involve a lot of suffering and confusion, which could cause a lot of additional externalities. Yeah. Okay, um, people who lose their jobs who maybe don't have this, we'll call it, uh, it to to disparage it a little bit, this sophisticated, erudite perspective. The the people who are actually losing their jobs because of this displacement, right. they might turn to. Uh, drugs, they might further cause disruptions in their immediate life and their family's extended lives. They might bomb data centers, you know. <laughs> they might get desperate and bomb some data centers, okay? Um, those are those are real effects yeah. of the process. And now again, we can we could jump to the conclusion and say that 50 to 100 years from now it'll all be great and rosy. That doesn't mean that it was without significant issues that probably should be paid attention to as opposed to just brushed aside with ah people say this all the time and and it's always fine quote unquote yeah i think uh i definitely think that is uh the right take to acknowledge that there's going to be lots of growing pains if we if we come to the other side of this there's going to be significant job displacement there, there, it's it, it, that's going to be it's always complex when you have technology that is shifting economic factors 
um, substantially. And I am optimistic that humans will be able to adjust, but it's not going to be without uh, pain to individuals, families, communities. I mean, my my uh, my, in my family, I have um, roots in coal mining of Western Virginia, and those places still have not recovered from you know decades of uh, reduced coal mine um, uh, coal usage. So you had a shift in the you know you had these communities that were built up around the coal mine. And then for whatever reason, demand goes down, companies shut down, regulations, you know, take over. And you're, you have, you know, an economic, cultural, social depression that can literally last, you know, 40 years plus. Um, the way I, I think about these related concepts is uh, as like adolescence, where when you, when you think about the industrial revolution and the pollution, the real undeniable pollution that was created in the industrial revolution with factories that were putting crap up in the air. That's that damages people like that is harming people in the world. That is a real negative externality. But I do think it's helpful to think of it as adolescence that once you push through that stinky pimply period, that's, you know, pollution, you have enough wealth then where you can turn around and clean up your factories. You have enough wealth, then you can actually solve some of the problems that the adolescence presents. And I think that's a similar situation here where we might be going through some adolescent pains with this new technology. And once we get through some unknown amount of time, maybe we'll be able to solve some of those problems. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely a argument for something analogous as you just outlined. Um, and again, I think the, the the key point in there is just to make sure that uh, when having such discussion, it is not it is not just blithely dismissed that there these these pains will actually occur to real human beings yeah. who who um, you know actually exist and they their their lives are not insignificant simply because society as a whole has to do this in order to get to a better, a better junction point, right? If it, yeah. If you just to even take it from from um, from the standpoint of trying to reduce those negative externalities because you don't want people to get desperate and attempt to blow up the data centers, right? right. You you don't you don't you want to avoid that because now that's even a more of a complication to right. to progress to the next the next point. Um, so you know you. Even if, if even if you're doing it cynically and simply to placate people, you you still want to keep that in mind because because angering people they always have they always have the sharpened sticks that can right um, that can overturn whatever you are trying to do. Um, you know the the problem of a person who is who is interrupting your life is often easily solved by ending that person's life, and that's not an avenue we want people to think is right. is uh, justified in taking. Right. So, um, to bring it to to politics, um, to because you wanted to head there, I I wanted to start with um, some some sense of immediate adoption that would be very parallel and analogous to where politics might head, and that would be companies, technology companies that wish to adopt using the current technology set of GPT and these other large language models into their into their business, okay? And from there, it can probably extend out into the poli mm -hmm. uh, political realm because there will be analogs. Yeah. So um, you might've seen some people uh, on the, on the, uh, the job landscape doomsayer uh, circuit saying that, the, that 
this will eliminate, you know, 300 million jobs in a short period of time. And, and programmers uh, thinking that they have, even though it, for a period of time they chose the best course of study, now they will be replaced because GPT-4 is able to write code. And there is a degree to which uh, those, those tools can be utilized. But I think one of the things you will find is that far too many um, companies as actors, far too many agents that are company units are going to overestimate the capabilities of these large language models and bet that they will be able to accomplish things that they actually cannot. Because oftentimes you wind up with a managerial system where the people making these decisions, yeah. you, you can see the similarities and the effects of outsourcing to foreign countries because the development work is somewhat easy to um, outsource. There are companies who, um, let's say, are mature and realize that too much outsourcing actually causes a detriment to you, even though on the on the immediate price point, the the hourly wage of a developer in in Thailand is is a much uh, better uh, savings, you know, and you can get comparable code. It's like the same product, you're paying a lot less. Those short term things are overshadowed by long term investments in human capital and and people who know the business inside out, people who are actually part of the company right. developing its trajectory, they they will make the same types of errors. The companies that that do all of their stuff outsourcing will make the same types of errors with, with the, the chat GPTs. And they will wind up having gotten rid of talent who will be the, who would have been the only talent capable of, of utilizing these language models appropriately. So I think, I think there are, the doomsayers are overestimating the ability of this current technology to replace a significant amount of labor. Well, th and that's a perfect segue uh, into the political situation. Because <laughs> what I, I would be, what I fear is that we're going to have, you know, the the decisions are going to be outsourced to this thing because there's particular beliefs about super intelligence mm -hmm. and what that means and how a super intelligence stands in relation to humans. And there's going to be a lot of people who think that what you're, uh, this is well, the way I put it is, you, you know, you have a responsibility in the presence of superintelligence to melt into a puddle. That's that, right. that's what you're, but they're going to think, okay, so I have this, I have this Oracle here and it's going to spit out things to me that I'm not going to understand. And so when it says now's the time to jump off the bridge, I'm going to jump off the bridge. And I think companies are going to do that. They're going to be bad decisions because they're not going to be able to use the tech correctly or it's the tech is not going to uh, solve the problems they think it's going to solve. And then I extend that to states and I go, okay, well now you got an interesting situation where a company, you know, you might have, you might have a small state somewhere that thinks they're going to get ahead by outsourcing their thinking to a machine and they end up making, you know, disastrous uh, 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 regulations or policies uh, or, you know, they, or, or the, or, um, like we have an AI that uh, pulls a John von Neumann, John von Neumann was convinced that the, uh, there were, there were nuclear war between the U S and the Soviets were inevitable. So then because of mathematics, the U S should preemptively drop nuclear warheads on the Soviets. Mm -hmm. So like, what happens when we go into a world where the AI is making the decisions and, it, it turns out, you well, know, Doctor Strangelove is basically yeah. the, that movie with just now throw Chat GPT as the the brains behind both networks, yeah. right? And it's it's the same. The movie plays out identically, right? Yeah. Um, there's 
yeah so i i think one thing that would have to be um you know uh, studied by people which is is not hard to do in the in general is just look at how they deal with um decision making processes and granting contracts to contractors now to deliver certain products and how often those promises never come to fruition and how often those promises are now going to be given to either a company promising to utilize the, the these this technology to solve the problem or somehow outsourcing it to an instantiation of this technology itself to solve the the they can be kind of synonymous in this in, in the at this moment because the the logic the the logic that would be underpinning it is the person making the decision doesn't actually have the knowledge uh necessary to make the judgment of the avenue most likely to bring them fruition so whenever you're a government and you have a desire to bring something to the people and you're going to outsource a contract to a project, there's going to be many parameters of that decision that are actually completely unrelated to whether or not the, uh, the person you're outsourcing it to can deliver on the promise. Some of it is going to be your ability to say that you saved the saved people money. Okay. So if you can come up with a person in finance saying that this project is going to save, save money um, and that this contractor is the lowest bidder or something along those lines that that might be unrelated to whether or not the project can be delivered. Um, if nepotism gets involved, the nepotism obviously is disconnected from whether or not the project can actually be, be delivered. And so all of these all of these uh, thoughts and considerations that go into an activity that will ultimately possibly involve these large language models is already going to have that deficit before it has to deal with the deficit of what the large language model is capable of delivering. Yeah. So, so I think with that, you will find a lot of people promising those things. There's a, if you take a, if people Google solar roadways, this was a, this was a um, mimetic commercial um, where it was someone, I think the tagline was solar fricking roadways. And it was like this, this, um, this bombastic announcer talking about this futuristic world of solving all, you know, the the, the progress, you know, generic progressives checklist of, of yeah. unlimited energy that is the most green possible. You know, converging on all of their hopes and dreams by placing these these solar panels as your road. And so now, um, you know, you're driving on a road that is actually providing the electricity for your entire community and that this was the this was the promise and the the company that was you know promising this got a whole bunch of grants millions right. of dollars but i don't think there is a single working version of a roadway even on a block radius yeah. um ever delivered i think okay? there's a prototype so, out in the desert somewhere if i recall. yeah so so imagine now imagine innocently that there was no reason as a general person seeing this being advertised you had a reason to say that's bullshit Okay. Now throw a whole bunch, a whole population of people who have no specific knowledge to able to point that out and go, that's bullshit. Now throw the large language models as a replacement for that and have all the experts going, this is groundbreaking and we have to actually blow mm -hmm. up data centers because it's so important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And serious people who are knowledgeable also over-promising. Now what is the average voter supposed to think whenever someone says that they're going to deliver a project on this? You're going to think whatever they say is possible. There's going to be a lot of overpromise going on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell what projects are going to be stupidly enough given um, full uh, benevolence to the the all-powerful AI. But hopefully, hopefully, it's it's 
normal stupid wasteful stuff and it isn't anything significant <laughs> with in the, the new term. doesn't have anything to do with the nukes yeah <laughs> yeah i can't well one thing i can say about about the 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 architecture of the governments in that realm is if you take a look at the military's um the military's manuals and how they deal with the human problem of decision making and and sensitive things like that there's a lot of checks you have a lot of redundancy um, that protects human error from getting to that endpoint mm -hmm. of devastation. I'm not saying they're perfect systems. Obviously, they're not. But historically, at least, I can't say yeah. I can't describe what the situation is like now and the human uh, talent available. But historically, if you look at what they've come up with, they, right. they have come up with many systems of redundancy that make human error <clears throat> less impactful on those serious items. You know, you have the, the the stereotype of two keys on the opposite side of the room that need turned by people at the same time as, as a safe check, right. you know, so that there isn't one human point of failure. Uh, things like that extended to, to a high degree are involved. So hopefully, if you were to say to the military hey let's do this there would still be those people who remember why you have all those <laughs> safe checks and go yeah. hey yeah we're not doing that and they and that's the exact you know essentially what you we, you get from that particular department but the rest of it that doesn't have that per, that perspective i can imagine a lot of chaos and but also also it would only take one country to be that stupid <laughs> with with a particular you know particular well, uh you know uh armament capability to cause a lot of havoc right you know? right yeah, Kim Jong Un might be uh, saying, "Oh, hey, Chat GPT four. <laughs> exactly. And you know, the thing is, you know, one's implicit philosophy of intelligence is going to matter here when you're talking. Like, intelligent people tend to really value intelligence. Sometimes they overvalue intelligence. Mm -hmm. And if you if you've been told stories that here is this magic box that is smarter than any human who's ever lived, mm -hmm. and all of and everybody combined." Then you're going to go, okay, well, what, why wouldn't I just do what the magic box tells me to do? And I don't, you know, I would not be surprised at all if that level of reasoning finds its way into states. I don't know, hopefully not ones with nuclear capability, but, uh, we, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, and that's that's one of the oversights I was describing with um, with regular companies in technology attempting to outsource things and then, then probably finding out that they've overpromised what it can deliver and that is there there will be at some point an, a need for what i'll just uh, for lack of a better term call um an, an orchestrator yeah. okay and it's someone who understands the limitations of the the tool the the large language model tool and its ability to produce code and oversee you know uh, i made a joke somewhere the other day that um It'll be the first time in, in existence that a project manager actually became useful. And <laughs> yeah. that's, that's an inside software joke or possibly other other environments oh, where, sure. where the person who is overseeing the project always has to be reminded the significance of things that are happening within the project it is basically to the developer themselves useless in the endeavor um, <laughs> other than being a shield for the client uh, <laughs> sending emails. There's a possibility here that the uh, the lower level uh, decisions will be made by chat GPT six. And then the orchestrator is chat GPT seven because it's <laughs> so much smarter. You know? Right. Right. What, what you would, what you want, what will wind up happening is there will be, there will be a talent set, whatever the, whatever the job description is called, but there will be a requirement of people to be well-versed with utilizing the tool yeah. that is GPT in these large language models, because they have an amazing ability um, to, to 
produce high volume and high quality um, either code or sets of, of important linguistic uh, tools like, such as just documentation or outlining a development plan where if you are used to the error that occurs in humans doing this endeavor and you can ex uh, allow yourself to expect similar dysfunction at times from the tool of GPT-4, mm -hmm. then you would become this, this organizer, someone who is saying, okay, this is what I want. I'm going to review what you gave me. Okay, I like this aspect. I don't like that aspect. Right. Okay, because... Uh, because you are more capable of interfacing with the actual product that you're trying to create than the large language model, then it will become a tool. And then that will be a job or a, a category of jobs where someone will be hired to interact with that in, the, in the, the short term. Now, of course, like I was saying, there will be people who just throw the entire job at the, the model and show, see, you know, try to uh, deliver whatever it comes up with. And they will not have anybody uh, currently employed who knows how to actually navigate the, the product. But um, the the point is that if people allow themselves to to calm down for a moment, they, you will be able to integrate the technology in very very productful you know productive ways. But that I uh, when it comes to local governments or or even the federal government, there will be many many stupid decisions where it is outsourced directly to that. And unfortunately, because it will be political in nature involving the government the the rhetoric will not be able to be separated from actually having the discussion on the level of what is it capable of and what is it not capable of because yeah. many of the people telling you it's not capable of doing something will be the ones whose jobs are at threat for it replacing them so you will be able to accuse them of having a um, motive right right to keep them self-employed which sometimes works out we still have many unions that have very bizarre existences that can't be described in any way other than you know momentum keeping them alive you know in in new york in some places in the arts you know there's people who are part of this weird union you might not even know that they're they're there their their job is to turn on the lights inside of the theater or something right they're the light manager they're part of the light managers union and you go how is this even a thing <laughs> right um that that might wind up actually existing and, and in this case possibly for good reasons because the people being displaced are also those understanding the limitations of the technology but you know that's the type of play that i would see in the the political level and and it's going to be very tempting for people to promise the newest and greatest thing because now it's all a buzz for people to jump on it in the short term i don't know who's going to take the first bite and have egg on their face when it's a disaster but yeah <laughs> Someone will be. Well, so I want to I want to close this down and put uh, maybe potentially a positive spin on this. I was thinking about this earlier, and uh, I don't have my mind made up, but it's very easy to come up with scenarios that are particularly scary to somebody who's interested in critical thinking and philosophy, where they're going to treat this thing as a truth a truth robot and just mm -hmm. mindlessly follow what it says. But but then I think you know it's, we're already in that situation right now where people aren't critically thinking, they're just reading, they're just believing what the screen tells them. And what's on the other side of the screen is some human that is just generally getting his ideas from people who are in power above him. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like, maybe, maybe the circumstance in which people are unthinking things, going around believing what they hear, it, I wonder if that method, as repugnant as it is to me, 
I wonder if it's going to be rewarded more by actually listening to chat GPT and large language models, because the quality of information you get, at least right now, before they're you know, their training sets are too biased. The quality of information you're getting out of the machine is going to be way higher than it is it, the quality of information you get on CNN. It certainly could. Um, and I think that, you know, it, humans are, are very fun and weird creatures. And when, when you have a group of people who don't necessarily know what it, the answer to a problem is, oftentimes anyone with an answer seems like they have they have something good, right? And so uh, that's where that's where they they say that confidence is mm -hmm. is what drives most things. And it's not because the people are um, people are actually valuing confidence itself, but that confidence mimics um, a claim of truth. Right. It, it sneaks a claim of truth through because confidence sounds like you're you know it makes you look experienced, and experience means that your output is more in line with truth. And and uh, so if someone, let's assume that there is an adoption disparity where even though this is available pretty much to everybody at the moment to go and interact with, that not everybody takes it on or not everybody takes it on to the same degree, right? So you have someone who maybe talked to it for a couple moments, sent, wow, that's, that's neat. And then they went about their day. But then you have someone who is interacting with it all day and all night understanding it's how to how to work with it you have two people in that room the person who's using chat dbt whether the answers are right or wrong is going to look more confident because they're generating answers that are that that are structured they are coherent they sound like they are well thought out because even when even when gpt is blazingly wrong yeah. It is blazingly wrong in the most hilarious, confident way, where it yes. has no sense of humility. It's not expressing a seed of doubt. And and the crazy thing is that the the dastardly thing is it's not just the confidence. It'll be that it's an Oreo where the top layer of the Oreo is truth. And you go, wow, that's impressive. The middle of the Oreo is complete fabricated bullshit. And then the next, the one right below it is also <laughs> truth, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so a human who is hiding the fact that they're they're getting their ideas from you know one of these large language models will take on that role of of authority and even if even if some of it's decent or whatnot they will actually make advancements in the short term because of that that gain in confidence where they're yeah. the ones who are talking to the oracle whether or not the oracle has a high hit rate i mean there's a joke in many companies where people uh, people will find a way to fail upward and that's where they have these ideas and they they position themselves to like uh, get a new job because they they were the ones who pushed this big idea meanwhile as they've abandoned their old job for the new job the idea is failing miserably and then they just keep leapfrogging their yep, way up yep. up the company ladder that could be that could be done probably with a little bit more finesse from from the large language models um and uh, people will be able to fail their way upward and the, the, the devastation wrought by just following the order of the large language model is hidden by like, you know, a delay of seven, seven months or something, you know. Um, well, that, it hits a really interesting concept that we're not going to have time to go into, but it, but is, it is, is going to be very important, which is this pattern of what happens when there's some, there's some process that works and then people realize the process works and then they try to mimic mm -hmm. the appearance of the process mm -hmm. that grasping how it right. you know right. how to actually get the good result 
and that, you know, people are impressed by that. So it's like you, we were talking about confidence earlier. Confidence can, a healthy, justified comp- a confidence can come from competence. Mm-hmm. And then if you pick that up, you go, oh, look, the person who's, you know, getting the resources, getting the women is this confident person because they're competent. Like, right. Well, I'm just going to mimic the confidence. And then right, you have, right. you know, that's how you get a bunch of arrogant assholes that are, you know, maybe successful with their relationships they don't have the underlying competence because they're doing the competence thing. You see that pattern over and over and over and over. Yeah, people's, right. Yeah, people's language will change over time because this sounds like what the, how the smart people are talking or whatever. So I think uh, I think that pattern is going to reemerge with the LLM thing. People are going to go, oh, this is how this is how the smart people are talking with the oracle, and when they use the oracle, it results in good outcomes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the appearance of using this technology in the same way. Yeah, um, I have actually have a, a way of summarizing that. It's actually uh, something I'm, I've had for a while summarizing it is that most people suffer from imposter syndrome, but most people are also playing a fake it till you make it strategy. Yeah. So that combination of effects is is the exact two that create the scenario you're talking about, where right. you're just mimicking what you're seeing as as being the thing, and you actually get rewarded for it. That's 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 a lot of places. So yeah, I think if we were going to tail end this, I think the the short term expectation is that things will progress rapidly, but the people will overshoot what it's capable of, and so you need to grant if you're concerned about this, you kind of need to ground yourself truly to the limitations of what this these things can do to understand what the the intermediate effects are and bet that there will be more overshooting than genuine complete uh true you know overhaul of this whole uh this whole apparatus we have and that you can't necessarily retreat all the way to um let, let's say an Amish sort of lifestyle uh, that you will, will probably not be able to completely shield yourself from any of its effects. Whatever is going, whatever is coming, you're just going to have to find your way to navigate through. But if you if you attempt to ground yourself in its limitations, you will find out when people are overpromising, and that will give you uh, the ability to hopefully only panic when it's truly time to panic, because you don't want to panic too often too early and have people think that you're crying wolf because there might be a time where you should panic about something it might not be right. the the existence of these things um but it might be that um a particular instance of them is being used in a particular way right right and i mean there are going to be thing. killer robots out there that are coming for you at some point because there's going to be malicious you know actors i mean not maybe not you individually right not you but, individually but yeah, in the yeah. landscape of things right. that exist there will be you know they've already taken those um those uh quadrupedal um dog-like yeah. things and attached guns to them of course right because right? Right, what, right. what else what else are you what else are you gonna put on it right, right. um the sharks with freaking lasers attached right to heads, exactly right? um so yeah that i just think if you if you are concerned just try to learn what its limitations truly are and don't think that that dismisses their threat but just think that it has if a threat has to come from an angle that's different necessarily from their limitations unless you're talking about humans um, mm-hmm. riding the limitations and pretending that it's actually working then that's right. yeah well i think that that's a great way to wrap things up i you did say something that you don't you don't think it'll be possible to do the amish approach yeah yeah and we don't have i you know I, I, that's going to be its whole whole nother can of worms i think that approach is going to be possible uh um 
I think that's going to be gaining in popularity. And I think there's going to be, like going back to the air gap concept, I think people are going to air gap in that way where they say, look, you know, at least in the rural world, maybe in cities, there's just no way you're going to be able to avoid these things. You know, the AI and the robots, are, in my opinion, they're going to be everywhere. But I do think the world is so gigantic that we're, that uh, if you want to go back to trying to live in like the 1990s or maybe the 1890s, I think there's going to be opportunities to do that. All right. Well, I'll start increasing my Ace of Base CD collection so that, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll have something to to sell whenever the nineties come back in that. That's a great card tool. Yes. All right. <laughs> yeah. Now this has been a great conversation. I got to go get some food. I don't know if, I don't know if it's picked up on the microphone. My stomach has been growling for like a <laughs> half an hour. All right. Well, good, uh, good conversation, Steve. Yes. Yeah, great talking with you.